Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Listen to what the Bible says in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. I want to speak to you this morning from a sermon titled The Book of Ruth, a love story about God and his people. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for allowing us to spend this time together looking at your word today, God. I pray that you'd anoint me to say the things that you'd have me to say, God. I pray you'd give us ears to hear what you want us to know. Increase our faith. Give us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible tells us that with all your getting... You should get understanding. With all the life, with everything you go through in life, acquiring things, grabbing things, loosing things, one of the things that God tells us we need to gain is understanding. He also says we ought to get knowledge. We ought to get wisdom. If you'll pay attention over the next few moments, you're going to learn some things that will help you be the man, the woman, the young person that God wants you to be. So many times people think that the... The proof of whether or not a message was good or bad is built on how good the preacher did or did not do preparing and using his oratory ability to spread the information. But that's really not the truth. Some people leave church thinking, wow, that message was awesome. It's just what I needed. And other people think, well, it was just a little eh for me. And they hear the exact same words. It's the same preparation. It's the same oratory. It's, it's the same delivery. But some people are encouraged by what they heard, and other people leave feeling unfulfilled through what they heard. And it's never on the preacher as to whether or not you eat what is put before you. It's on your hunger. If you're hungry today to be more of what God wants you to be, to know more about the God who sent his son to die for you, then I invite you to listen today and to learn. The things we can learn, so much we can learn from this short book of Ruth, especially as we look at it through the lens of uh, metaphor and typology. Now, uh, metaphor is other than literal. It's expressing, comparing something to another thing to make a greater point about the first thing. Now, that's wordy, but it's like if I said, that dude's a snake. Does that mean I really think he crawls on the ground and eats whatever snakes eat? No, I'm using a metaphor to describe something. It's a comparative analogy. Typology is a lot like that. I've I've taught you about types in the past, but as far as the Bible goes, typology is an Old Testament picture of a New Testament event. It's called by theologians foreshadowing in the old of what's to be revealed in the new. I'll give you one example, and then we'll move forward. In the Old Testament, there was a man named Abraham, and he had a son named what? Isaac. Abraham was 
a father. Isaac was a son. And we see in the book of Genesis that this father took his son to offer him as a sacrifice on a hill. That's Abraham, Isaac, sacrifice on a hill. If you know anything about New Testament Christianity, you ought to already see in your mind that that's an Old Testament foreshadowing of an event that would happen in greater fulfillment in the New Testament. We know because the Bible teaches about a father named Jehovah who had a son named Jesus who offered himself as a sacrifice on a hill called Calvary. And the Old Testament is full of typology, and one of the ways to make the Old Testament become a living book for you as you study it is to realize that there are types to be uncovered. Don't let that guide all of your study of the Old Testament because anything taken to an extreme can become heretical. I tell you often about numerology. Numerology is the study of numbers and their biblical significance. And some numbers in the Bible are significant. But if you start trying to put a biblical significance to every number you read, you're going to get far from the truth. I've told you uh, about parables. Types are a lot like parables. Parables are taught throughout the Bible. Jesus taught primarily in parables. And at one point in his ministry, he only taught thereafter in parables. So parables are replete in the New Testament. But if you try to assign a value to each thing, a parable is a contrast. Two things laid beside each other to show contrast, comparative analysis. A parable, some have said, is um, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning where one person is representing something greater. But I've taught you, and I hope that you remember, that most parables are trying to get us to see how many specific truths. One, people try to assign too many values all the way down the line in a parable, and they get far away from the truth. And there's that danger as well in typology, but we're going to look at typology uh, this morning, and we're going to look at the book of Ruth through the lens of typology and see what the word has to say to us. Let's look at verse 1 again. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel. So who's ruling in Israel? The judges are ruling in Israel. Judges were not judges back then the way we think of judges now, although they did perform some of those judicial duties that we associate with judges in 2018. But judges were more prominently military leaders and civil rights leaders. They were people that God would raise up to deal with a specific issue that was dragging God's people down or oppressing God's people and God use judges it's the the time it says in the days when judges ruled in Israel that time period where judges ruled in Israel was from the entering the promised land where they got away from listening to what Moses said when they entered to the promised land all the way up to the first king of Israel for about 400 years Israel had no king this is about 1400 BC to 1000 BC Literally, if you want the exact dates, 1380 to 1050. Uh, It's a time where there was no king and people had gotten away from following the written word of God. And listen to what the Bible says. The book before, anybody know what the book before Ruth is? Anybody? Judges. The last verse in Judges is the 
preceding verse to the first verse in Ruth. So right before the first verse in Ruth, the last verse in the book of Judges says this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So this is the period of time where Ruth comes along, in the time where judges ruled the earth because there was no king. I think that even though there are kings in the earth today in 2018, there are definitely judges in the earth. There's, there's all types of different political figures in the earth. But I think that second half of that verse, on the other side of the colon, is where a lot of people find themselves right now in February of 2018. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. In about 1950 and beyond, people started to get away from truth. People started in, our, in this country to get away from the literal truth of the word of God and began to view truth in a way that Americans had never viewed truth before. They began to view truth as subjective. They began to view truth as truth to them, what it meant to them. It, it's nothing new. It's just a replacement of the old. Literally what it means, see, in the 50s and before in America, when, the, when, you, when someone stood up and said, God wants his people to be in church on Sunday morning. Everyone said amen, and everyone came to church on Sunday morning. They didn't need a lot of proof text, although the Bible is full of proof text. The scripture says that our religion is based on the foundation of the apostles, with Jesus being the chief cornerstone. The apostles went to church on Sunday. Jesus went to church on Sunday. That was enough, but if that wasn't enough, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together, such is the manner of some. So people understood then... Well, the truth of the matter is Christians go to church. And then as time progressed, people started thinking, well, we don't have to go to church to be Christians. I can worship God on the lake. I can worship God at the beach. I can worship God at home just as easy as I can worship God at church. To which the greatest refuting of that that I've ever heard was if you ever have someone tell you, I don't have to go to church on Sunday morning, I can worship God just as good at home. The greatest statement I ever heard toward that is just to say, but do you? Because the reality is when someone says, I can worship God at the beach just as good as I can at church, but do they? They probably just wanted to go to the beach. I can worship God at home just as good as I can worship God at the church, but do they? Ah, they probably just wanted to stay home because they didn't want to show up. But there was a time that we're seeing when Ruth was written where everybody did what was right in their own eyes and that's the America we live in now truth is no longer seen as truth for everyone truth is your truth and this is what these new age freaks will tell you live your truth speak your truth I wanted you to know if you're a Christian it's not your truth that you could be concerned about it's God's truth that you should be concerned about if you're a believer, it's not speaking your truth or your reality that's to be concerned about. It's speaking the truth and the reality that we need to be concerned about. So the time of judges was very much like the time now. People see no allegiance to a king because they're rebellious. They don't want to have anyone telling them what to do. They want to make it up as they go along and say, well, this is what... I believe it's crazy when I hear people talk about the Bible and ask each other, well, what does that mean to you? 
as if it means one thing to Brother David and a different thing to Stacy and a different thing to me. It can't be like that. The Scripture says of itself that the Scripture is of no private interpretation. It can't mean one thing to you and a different thing to me and both of us be right at the same time. It's just like if I say my name is Scott and you say, but you sure do look like Roy. I think you look like a Roy to me. And that, that's funny, but y'all don't know why that's funny. Um, I'll give you a hint because I'm white, but that's a different story all the way around. If you say he, you look like a Roy to me, that doesn't make my name Roy. My name is Scott, not just because I want my name to be Scott or I picked Scott for my, my I was given the name Scott. It's on my, my government name is Scott, okay? So it's not about what you want it to be or what it feels like to you or what well, you may see it that way, but I see it this way. Truth can't be played with like that. We've come to a place so similar to this time of the judges in the history of America where now there are 64 primary identifiers for gender recognition on federal government applications. How many did I say? 64. 64 identifiers for gender? Let, let, me, let me just ask anybody with a brain and a pulse in the room. How, how many genders are there? Two. You're male or female, and you don't need a lot of help to figure it out. You can use your own eyes, or you can use a mirror, depending on how big your belly is. But you ought to be able to... <laughs> That's funny. The Bible, the Bible says laughter does the heart good like a medicine. You ought to be able to smile when you come to church. Some of y'all are so stiff right now, I'm not going to even get into the Bible until some of y'all get your mind ready to receive. Amen. Subjective truth, subjective reality. These are all attempts to allow people to do what was right in their... Well, my body... As this is on tape, make sure you know, I'm not saying this about me. I'm quoting what others have said. People want to say, my body might be male, but on the inside, I'm female. No, if your body is male, you are male. You might feel like a female on the inside, but you're confused. Because you're a man or you're a woman. I don't care if, if Bruce Jenner, who was on a Wheaties box as an athlete, in the 70s and 80s, now wants to have stuff chopped off and be called a woman, he's still a man. He's born a man, he's going to die a man. You can grow your hair long, you can cut your hair off, but there's only two genders in the history of the world. I mean, I, how do people get so wanting to do what's right in their own eyes? Even dogs know that the boy dogs are boys and the girl dogs are girls. The human devolvement to go to the place where, well, I don't think we should just have male and female. What That leaves people out. No, it doesn't. It leaves no one out. Everyone is one of those two things. Well, what if I want to identify as a trans, bi, lean, tween, bean, ging? <laughs> Call yourself elephant if you want to, but you're still either a man or a woman. And this is the world that, sadly, we have gone back to. 3,000 years later, we're back to people doing what is right in their own eyes. People saying stuff like, well, that might be how you see it, but my truth 
is my truth. You don't own truth. You don't have a truth to own. You can say, well, well we're not in Jacksonville right now. I, I, I see this place more as um, San Diego. Well, if you think this is San Diego, you got bad geography skills. You've never been to San Diego, and you're wrong. We've got to understand that truth is truth, and any delineation from that puts us in a place where we're back not serving a king. If you think that your truth is different than your ancestors' truth, especially as it relates to the Bible, then you have strayed from the real truth to do what is right in your own eyes. That's the period of the judges. Let's look back in Ruth. It says, in the days when the judges ruled, it's about a thousand years before Christ, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. So what we want to do this morning is work our way through this Bible study fashion and look inside the scripture to see what may be being represented typologically to us in the days when judges ruled in Israel. We're in that place right now because it's a time where everybody does what's right in their own mind. Nobody wants to serve a king. Nobody wants to be told what to do. Then right after it says that, the next phrase is a severe famine came upon the land. One of the reasons why you should study the Old Testament is because the Bible says these stories are for our examples. And we see how God operated in the past, which allows us to know how God will operate now. Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he's done before, he'll do again because he's consistent. So if a severe famine came upon the land in the days where judges ruled Israel, which was a period when people did not follow what they were told, they did what they wanted to do, and that brought a severe famine upon the land. What do you think is going to happen in your world if you get to the place where you are doing what you want to do instead of what you've been told to do? Anybody? Famine. Say famine. When you get to the place where you're no longer receiving instruction, where you're no longer accepting truth as truth, and you decide you want to do what you want to do, say what you want to say, dance how you want to dance, play how you want to play, then famine is going to come upon your land because famine never came in the Bible by accident. Famine always has a purpose. Struggle always has a purpose. Pain always has a purpose. Some of you are in a place in your life right now that could be characterized by famine. You may have food in your belly, but in your soul, you're dry. You're weakened on the inside. Spiritually, you're parched and famished. You're not full spiritually because you have stopped accepting instruction from someone who told you what to do, and you've stopped believing in accepted truth, and it launches you into a place of famine. Now, people in the last 70 years have began to twist orthodox long-standing theology for their own purpose to make it say what they wanted to say instead of what it really means. There's a difference between reading into the Bible what it says and reading into the Bible what you want it to say. There's a group of people preaching in the earth today that have taken the wrong approach to biblical study and biblical teaching, and they give the devil credit for everything 
or themselves credit for what they don't credit the devil with, and they leave God out altogether. I'll give you an example of this group. When my wife got sick with cancer, we had some people like that in our church, hyper-charismatics. Nothing wrong with being charismatic, but you take anything to an extreme, and you can wander off into heresy. There were people, we were all praying, fasting, praying, believing God for Gail's healing. And when Gail died, we had a lot of people leave the church because they said, Somebody didn't have strong faith. The pastor's faith wasn't strong enough to heal his wife. The, the devil took out the pastor. See, so they're giving credit to the devil for, ki- for, for killing somebody with cancer. The devil did it. Or they're giving blame to themselves. Our faith was I had people call me on the phone. What did we do wrong, pastor? Did, did we pray wrong? Did we believe wrong? Did we not say the right thing? Did we not speak truth into existence? And I told them, you're speaking truth into existence doesn't change whether, whether it's truth or not. Truth, truth, whether you say it or not. And your belief system is your belief system. I said, and and they, I said, so the reason why these things happen is so we'll learn how to cling to God in the hard times. The reason why these things happen so we'll understand that we're not all powerful, but God is. Because if you believe that we must have said the wrong thing, prayed the wrong thing, not walked in enough faith, not spoken enough victory, uh, and, and that person died, then if that person would have lived, what would you have given the credit to? Yourself. Your ability to speak the right thing, say the right thing, believe the right thing, pray the right thing. And so this theology takes God out of the center and you need to make sure that God always stays in the center of your theology so this bad theology crowd also attributes too much to the devil too much to their own belief system and not enough to God and they teach currently that all problems come from who the devil so famine is a problem so for that crowd famine must come from where The devil. But if you read the Bible, you'll find out that God consistently says, when I shut up heaven and withhold the rain from your crops. The Bible consistently shows that it's God who is always in control. Sometimes that control that God is using is in response to your rebellion. Your rebellion will bring famine. It brought famine in this time. They stopped listening. They stopped being instructed. They looked to no king, including God. They walked away from the teaching of Moses, and famine was brought about. Famine never comes by accident. Say never. So if you have a problem in your life, it's not an accident. If you have a problem in your life, a pain in your life, if you're going through in your life a difficulty, a struggle in your life, it's not by accident. It may be something you've done in rebellion that that God is trying to bring you back to him through. It may be something that God is just allowing the enemy to do in your life to cause you to hold on to God deeper. But you need to find the purpose for your pain. If you're in pain, if you have problems, you need to find the the reason for that. If it's something that you're doing contrary to the written word of God, you need to correct that so you can get back on the good side quicker. If it's something that God is just working through you to cause dependence on him, you need to hold on to God tighter. Because until you pass the test, you can't move on to the next level. The life of a Christian, the Bible says, is to go from one level of glory to the next. So it's about tests to build your testimony, to move you forward to a new test that builds your testimony, to move you forward. The problem is some people keep failing the same test 
over and over and over again. There's certain people that can't move past certain situations. I believe that's why there's so many people still struggling with racism while calling themselves Christians. They, they use excuses like, well, that's how we've always been. That's how I was raised. But God wants to take you from where you are to a higher level. And if you keep failing that same test, some of you are going to stay broke for the rest of your life. Why? Because you won't pass the test of being obedient to God in your finances. You won't pay the tithe and give the offering. So you stay broke and you keep wondering, why are my finances always messed up? Because your giving's messed up. It's about passing a test so you can move on to the different level. What am I telling you? Famine does not last always. It lasts until something alters it. And if you are the reason for your own famine, wouldn't it make sense for you to change something? If you want, listen, it's going to be deep for you, but it's real. If you want things to change, then change. People sitting back wanting their situation to change, but they don't want to do any change on their part. They want their situation to get better, but they don't want to do better. They want to receive more from God, but they don't want to give anything. If you're looking for something to change, if you want your relationship with a person to get better, you got to do more. If you want your relationship with God to get better, you got to do more. If you want your money to get better, you got to do more. Your famine is there for a purpose. It says, in the days when the judges ruled Israel, severe famine came upon the land. I see that in the earth today. The next sentence says, so a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home. All right. So we're looking at words. We're looking at names. We're, think, we're looking at things that can be types, representations of our current living. So a man from Bethlehem. Well, Bethlehem is a city in Judah, and that might just be geographic to you. But names in the Bible have meaning. Names in the Bible have purpose. And Bethlehem is always referred to being the house of bread. Bethlehem is the house of bread. Now, a man left Bethlehem, and a famine came into his life. He left the house where bread was and went into a famine. We're going to see this as it continues to open up. But Bethlehem means the house of bread. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. What did he say of himself in John 6, 35? He said, I am the bread of life. Jesus understood there's meaning to Bethlehem. If your soul is hungry, you need to find your way to Bethlehem. Bethlehem's the place where Jesus started something in you. Bethlehem is the place where the world met Jesus and where you met Jesus. So many Christians are living in problem after problem after problem, living in famine, living in pain, living in difficulty. Well, the reason why these cats were in famine, they left Bethlehem. Now, if you left a place where you were blessed and went to a place where you weren't blessed, what might be a good thing for you to do? Go back to where the food is. If you just, you see, it's so easy to see where other people are missing it. Why can't we see where we're missing it? Mm. Let's keep going. So we got this famine. We got this man from Bethlehem in Judah. Now, any, anybody know what Judah means? Judah means praise. So Judah is a, a, a larger view 
of Bethlehem. It's, it's the place that Bethlehem resides. Praise is where Jesus lives. If you have a spiritual famine in your life, there is a very good chance that you are not offering God spiritual praise and worship. See, all praise and worship is not spiritual because Jesus said God seeks those who worship him in spirit and in truth. There has to be a realness or either that or just singing and playing. See, in some churches, there's praise and worship. In other churches, there's singing and playing. God is looking for praise, and Judah is the house of praise. This man left Bethlehem and Judah and ended up in a famine. What am I telling you, Christian? If you leave true praise and worship of God, if you leave from feasting on the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he has for you, you can be certain you're headed toward a famine. Anybody... Whoever was truly saved that fell back from their commitment to God can tell you they stopped praising God like they ought to. They stopped getting around the people of God like they ought to. They stopped feasting on the things of God like they ought to. He, he, this man was from Bethlehem in Judah, verse 1 says. He left his home and went to live in a country of Moab. He left his home. Look at, the, look at the screen because I want you to get this, how specific the Word of God is. He left his home and went to live. Say live. When you go somewhere, you can go there for a short period of time or you can go there to live there. See, there's a difference between visiting somewhere and living somewhere. I've been to Hawaii as a visitor. I've been to Puerto Rico as a visitor. I've been to Spain as a visitor. I've been to England as a visitor. I've been to Germany as a visitor. I've been to London as a visitor. I've been to Scotland as a visitor. I never, well, I lived in England, but he didn't go there to visit there. He went there to live there. What am I telling you? Well, let's see what Moab is first. He went to live in the country of Moab. Say Moab. Now, Moab is 50 miles away from Bethlehem. He didn't have a car, a train, or a bus, a taxi, an Uber, a Lyft, a buddy to get him there. He walked 50 miles. Okay, we are right now less than 50 miles to Georgia. This, you, and, and nobody in this room wants to walk to Georgia today. All right, that, that, that's a, a good haul. We're less than 50 miles probably to St. Augustine. But nobody in this room, it's a long way. Say long way. He got a long way away from praise and worship. He got a long way away from where God and the people of God are. And he didn't go there to visit. He went there to live. When you get this in your mind, you are moving in a really dangerous place. See, each one of us are going to have times where we're not as dialed in spiritually as we need to be. And I would say that's okay. It's not okay, but it's better to have times of that than to surrender to that. It's better to know, hey, I'm going to be up and I'm going to be down, but I'm always going to be moving in the right direction. You might find yourself going to this place far away from where God is. You might find yourself in this place of Moab. You better make sure it's a short-term visit and not somewhere you plan on living because not only is it a long way away from Bethlehem, but it's where the, the son of Lot had an incestuous relationship with his older daughter and brought forth a group of people that have always fought against God's people. The Moabites have always been at war with the true people of God. So when you find renegades, when you find 
offshoots, when you find outer limit type of people that, that oppose traditional Christianity, you, you should think first thought in your mind should be Moab. Moab. They're, they're not in the heart of what God is doing. They're on the outskirts of what God is doing, and they find themselves fighting against what God is doing. This, these are people who worship false gods. They offered human sacrifices. They, they served a god named Chemosh, who was the god of war. His name meant destroyer. This is a man who was living in the place of God, feeding on the things of God, and took his whole family. It wasn't bad enough he just went himself. He took his whole family 50 miles, 50 miles to us. We drive 50 miles to go eat. You know, you drive 50 miles to go visit someone. They didn't have cars. They did this. On, it was a long, long journey. And too many people that are sincere Christians have taken their journey to Moab and need to find their way back home. Look at verse 2. In Ruth 1, 2, the Bible says, The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of the man was Elimelech. Now, Elimelech means my God is king. Now, so if I'm writing this movie, I, I've got my, I, I got my, my stand-in, my, my, I got my body double. Obviously, Gerard Butler is going to be playing Elimelech. So you got Gerard Butler all dressed out like, you know, the, the, the king of the world, and his name literally means my God is king. So Elimelech is somebody who is supposed to be honoring God. He's somebody who's supposed to be following God. But this man forsook his name, and he began, instead of following God as his king, to make himself his own king. And I want to tell you, the root of all backsliding is self-kingship. The root of all backsliding is I'm tired of being told what to do, and I'm going to do me. And I don't need nobody telling me what to do. Well, that's not what the Scripture teaches. And Elimelech goes away from being who God created him to be to be something very different. Not only did he go into Moab, but he carried his family with him. Verse 2 says, the name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. So I don't know who we get to play this. Any woman would do in, in the movie in your mind. Let's just call her Naomi because that's what the Bible calls her. And so you've got this man. My God is king. The name of his wife is Naomi. Now, Naomi means gorgeous or beautiful, delightful to look at, full of pleasantness. So Naomi is fine. You following me? Wake up. You, want to, you don't want to miss this. We're going to get to the punchline in just a moment. My God is king who lives in the house of bread, eating and feasting on the things of God right where Jesus is in the middle of the praise and the worship. He marries this hot, gorgeous, pleasant, good to look at Naomi. And see, what, what you can find out is you can have a great start and a jacked up finish. Just because you got saved and call yourself saved don't mean you're not heading for a famine. It, de it depends on the next three steps you take. Three steps can alter your whole direction. And this man took the wrong steps. He, he marries Naomi. The, verse 2 goes on to say, And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. Now, 
That sounds like some names of the kids I've met at Oakley Senior High School, but none of them, I never literally met a Malon or a Chilion, but because we're looking at the value and the representative quality of names, Malon, why would a parent do this to their child? Malon means sick and puny. Well, you got to hate that. I mean, some, some of y'all have parents that where the, your brother or sister was the big, strong one, the smart one, the good-looking one. Uh, do did, did ugly people know they're ugly? I guess we can't answer that then. I, I have my answer. Malon, they named him a name that was not a great name. They named him Sick and Puny, and his brother, Kilion, <laughs> they named, that name means a prolonged, unfulfilled desire or need or someone suffering a mental illness or a physical illness. So they got two jacked-up kids. Uh, You say, Pastor, I'm looking for some hope. Here's some hope for you. If you are Elimelech, if God is your king, or you're Naomi, if you're married to someone whose king is God and you're fine, your children can be all messed up, but that don't make you not Elimelech and not Naomi. How many of y'all know that godly parents can have some messed up children? But the Bible promised for us is if we raise them up in the way they should go, when they're old, they won't depart from it. Doesn't mean your children might not go crazy in their teens, 20s, 30s, 40s. I don't know when does old kick in. I know I'm there. Stop telling people 50 is the new 30. 50 is 50 for sure. Well, 70 is the new 40. Uh, Really? I don't think so. Godly parents many times have children that go astray. Sometimes it's the parents' fault. And in this case, it's most definitely the parents' fault. The Bible says the names of two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephratites of Bethlehem, Judah. Ephratite is an inhabitant of Ephraim, which is a place inside of Bethlehem. So an Ephratite was someone who was fruitful, someone who lived a full and meaningful life close to God. This is the good stuff. Say good. That Bethlehem, we've seen, is the house of bread. So these kids were born, even though they were named, names were messed up, they were born to the right people in the right place. But the end of verse 2 says, And they went to the country of Moab, and remain there. Remember this, Christian. If you don't get anything else, the day that you find yourself away from God, you need to get back to God. Don't remain there because famine is sure to follow. The moment you find your mind drifting from God and the things of God, go back to feeding on the Word of God, the bread of life. Because if you remain there, trouble is sure to find you. And trouble certainly found this man, his wife, and his children. We don't have to look any further than the next verse. Verse 3 says, Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. There's not much worse a position that a family can be at this point than to have no patriarch. In this day and age, women were viewed as less significant than men, even still in that part of the world. It's, it's much that way even today. But during that time, a woman without a husband had limited options, limited inheritance, and, and limited prospects. This man who at one time had God as his king, who lived in the house of fullness, bread, and fruitfulness, and married a beautiful woman, he died 
and he left her and her two sons. Let me tell you, your sin, that sin that you think is only hurting you, that sin that you think nobody knows about and it ain't bothering nobody but me and it, it's not hurting anyone, sin always has repercussions. Sin always spirals out to everyone around you. This man took his family in the wrong direction. He died. His sin cost him, and it cost his family. Verse 4 says, Now they, talking about Malon and Chilion, took wives of the women of Moab. Is Moab good or bad? Somebody's listening. Moab is bad. Moab is against God. Moab is false God. Moab is far away from the place where Jesus is. And these two boys took wives of Moab. Not a good move. Not what God would have for them to do. Malon and Chilion should have never married these two women because they were Moabitess. Listen to what the Bible says in Deuteronomy 7. Verse 3 and 4. Do we have that? Oh, we don't have that. All right, well, you're going to have to just listen for real then. Listen to what God told his people. Neither shall thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter shall not give to his son, nor his daughter shall thou take unto thy son, for they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. If you want guaranteed destruction, if you want guaranteed famine, if you want guaranteed God being turned against you, do not give your children to marry the heathen. Now, see, a lot, well, not a lot of people, but a few crazy people have used this verse to teach against interracial marriage. This verse is not teaching against interracial marriage. This verse isn't saying that Hebrews can only marry Hebrews. This verse is saying Hebrews must not marry people who serve false gods. It's not that they'll drag you away from, from your ethnos. It's that they will drag you away from following God, that they might serve other gods. The Bible says Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. He grew up in the house of David, the place of fullness. And he married wives who didn't follow the God of David, and they drug him down. If you are married to an unbeliever, don't be surprised when they drag you down. You say, well, pastor, that gives me no hope. Well, there's plenty of hope to be had. The Bible says for a believer married to an unbeliever, your children... Are, 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 are clean by your belief. Your, your children are made whole by your belief. The, the Bible says that if an unbe- a, a believer is married to an unbeliever, that your faith can bring them to the place that they need to be. But God's purpose and plan is for Christians to marry Christians. Do you agree with that? That's God's purpose and God's plan. These, these men married women of Moab, people who did not serve their God. I'm sure there were people 3,000 years ago that kind of had no religious affiliation. That's the fastest growing group in America, by the way, non-affiliated, non-religiously affiliated people, people who don't claim any sort of uh, religious belief system. But in that time, the world was much more religious. There was all these type of servants, services that had to be offered to some type of God and 
these aren't just women who didn't follow God as close as Malon and Chilion. These were women who actively served gods that opposed Jehovah. Why in the world would a Christian marry someone who hates their God? It doesn't matter how fine they are. It doesn't matter how much money they have. If they hate your God and your God is important to you, you need to let them go. Some of you single people, you need to understand, if they're not, if they're not saved, sanctified, fire baptized, fire baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost, love God more than anything else, they're not a suitable mate for you. Elimelech leading his family wrong, going in the wrong place. Sons doing the wrong thing. Look at verse 4, Ruth 1, 4. Now they took wives, the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah. Or Puh. Anybody see what that almost is spelled like? Oprah. Oprah's mother wanted to name her daughter Orpah, but she spelled it wrong on the birth certificate, and now Oprah Winfrey is named Oprah Winfrey instead of Orpah. I guess she'd have done just as good named Orpah, but that's the biblical verse where Oprah Winfrey Gets her name. So these dudes married two chicks. One's named Oprah or Orpah, and the other one is named Ruth. Now, Orpah means the, uh, the neck of a gazelle, a stiff-necked person, somebody who turns back quickly and runs away. So Orpah is a coward. Orpah has no character. Orpah is not a long-run kind of chick. She, see, it, it just cracks me up when I hear people talk about that, that, that's my ride or die. Well, six months later, I hear you talking about how much you hate them. I thought they was your ride or die. See, most people that think they're ride or die aren't really ride or die. And this is the opposite of ride or die. This is a chick that will run away in a minute. Listen, if you're looking for a mate, don't look for no wishy-washy person who can't stand by the stuff. Don't look for somebody who, who's willing to uh, got to have her way or she's out the door. This is some stupid, if it's not my way, I'll just quit. This is not a godly characteristic. This is who Orpah was. Uh, she was married to Kilion. Ruth means friendship or covenant partner. Ruth is the kind that stays. This is the kind of person you want to affiliate yourself with. This is the kind of person you want to become. This is the kind of person you, you ought to want to be somebody who stayed in the same church for your whole life because there's character there and there's consistency there. I understand movement of the Lord. I understand transfer, relocation, but you ought to, be, you ought to want to be somebody who keeps the same set of godly friends your whole life. These people that twist and leave and, 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 and just drift off, they are not people you can count on. Ruth's the kind of person that you can count on, but he still should have never married her. Why? Because she didn't serve God. So Elimelech made a mistake. His children follow in his footsteps, making mistakes. The Bible says in verse 4, the name of these were Orpah, the other, the other Ruth, and they dwelt there about 10 years. By anyone's estimation, 10 years is a long time. You can get different ideas about how old old is. If you ask a 7-year-old how old old is, 25. That's just old. If you ask a 10-year-old how old old is, 30 
is just old. If you ask a 40-year-old how old old is, 60 is just old. If you ask a 60-year-old how old old is, they'll say 80. But if you ask a 79-year-old person if 80 is old, they'll tell you, not really. Because they see it more closely. But in any category, 10 years is a long period of time. They stayed there for a long time. Here's the sad reality. There are real Christians who left the house of bread and wandered out into a bad place, got around the wrong people, and stayed there too long. The longer you stay, the deeper you get. The deeper you get, the more it hurts. The more it hurts, the harder it is to make a comeback. And the harder it is to make a comeback means that some people will. And some people won't. They stayed there for 10 years. Verse 5 says, Then both Malon and Chilion died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. They are in the most messed up situation they can possibly be now. They went from being three men and three women. An older man, and a mom and a dad with money, with the right, right pedigree. But they went traveling in the wrong direction. Both sons married the wrong women. And now all the men are dead. So you have three women, no man. A bad place to be culturally. Anytime you begin to drift away from the place of God, you're going to find yourself in a really, really bad place. So Malon and Chilion, they never should have married them two women. Uh, they, they, they just kept doing wrong, and wrong led to more wrong. And this is the cycle that still happens in the believer's life in 2018. You start doing a little something wrong, then it leads to something else. When you start justifying, well, it's not that bad. Why do you have to say that bad? Because you know it's bad. You just want to believe it's not that bad. When you start justifying by saying, well, at least I'm not doing what so-and-so is doing, so-and-so's not God. When you start justifying wrong behavior, you are headed down a path toward famine. You're headed down a path toward destruction. They went to a distant place away from God. They married all the wrong people. They died and made a mess of things. Is that really what you want your legacy to be? Elimelech died in Moab. He died and left his wife, children, and stepchildren without a legacy. He died leaving them broke in a busted place. Now, some of your parents have done the same thing to you. My father never provided for us. I never knew my father much as a child. And, and many of you come from places where your, your parents made bad decisions that had a negative impact on you as well. What I want you to understand today is every step you take away from God is going to not only affect you, but it's going to affect your children and your children's children. Amen. And as you get older, here's the thing older people get. People, if, if you're 50 and up, you ought to already be thinking consistently in your mind about your legacy. You ought to be already be thinking about what are you leaving to the generation that's coming behind you. And Elimelech left nothing to his children but death, destruction. He is like the dude in the song, Papa was a rolling stone. And when he died, all he left us was alone. Well, Elimelech left them alone, alone with no provider, alone with no protector, alone with no one to guide them in the spiritual ways because the one person that should have been guiding them went the wrong way. Whose life is your backsliding affecting most right now? 
You need to be concerned not only for your own destiny, but for the destiny of your legacy. They went to a distant place, married the wrong people, made a mess of things. See, when my God is king, Elimelech, married pleasure, he stepped outside of what God called him to do. Now, Naomi was fine, but nowhere did it, did it, did it say at that time in her life she was serving God. He married her for looks only. Now, see, this is what men, big mistake men make, and I get it because I'm a man. If you marry her just because she's fine, if you marry her because she got a smoking hot body, guess what? Looks fade. And all the young dudes in the house thinking, that's why I trade up. And that's why when she turns 40, I'm going to trade her in on two 20s. That's not godly. You're supposed to stay with the one you marry. And if all she has going on for her is looks, or ladies, if all he has going on for him is looks, Remember that furniture disease. All men going to get that furniture disease. When their chest falls to their drawers, they're going to have chest of drawers disease. And, and, and the Bible says that, that beauty is, is vanishing. Man, I've showed my kids some pictures, and, and they just, it, it just hurts them. I can see the pain in their eyes. High school. I show them chick out of my high school yearbook, 1981, class of 1981. Head cheerleader. Right, uh, drum, drum major at uh, whatever they smoking hot bikini bodies. Now they're about two ninety, and and it's like, how is that the same person? Because as we get older, we get bigger. And you say, not my husband, not my wife. Keep living. He married someone for looks, and it went the wrong way. There's some real key identifiers here that will help you if. You are listening. See, when, when God is king, unites with something just for pleasure, pleasure turns to bitterness. Anytime, if you say you're a child of God and you unite with something that God is not God's best plan for you, whatever could have been pleasurable for you will ultimately turn into bitterness. Many of you are hooked up with the wrong folk. If you're not married to them, you need to break that union right now and get away from them. Some of you are hooked up with the wrong folk, but you're married. And the Bible says that if you're married, don't seek to be loosed. You need to make the best of your situation. You need to pray salvation for your spouse. And you need to believe God for the salvation of your spouse. Verse 6, and we're done. This is the last verse I'm going to read. I hope we would get further, but we're going to stop it here. Verse 6 says, Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them Good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. Now here's the punchline. I'll give you the punchline before I break it down for you. If you know the right one, you can always get back to him. If you really know who God is, you can always find your way back to him. No matter how far, even if it's a 50-mile walk, you can always find your way back. Naomi... Husband's dead. Son's dead. She got these two renegade daughters that hate God on her hip. Life's not looking good for her. But she hears in Moab that the Lord has blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. See, God is always faithful to his people. Famine for a season, but bread forever. God brings good crops back 
to Judah again. And Naomi and her daughters get ready to leave Moab and return to her homeland. Here's the hope that I want you to know. When you find yourself away from God, even in Moab, you can still hear what God is doing. Even in Moab, you can still hear what God is doing for other people. It won't attach to you until you get to where they are. She's still a long way away. There's good crops in Judah. There's good crops back where she came from. But she's walked a long way back. If you walked a long way away, you got to make that journey all the way back. But the good news is that you can come back home anytime you want to. That there's always an opportunity to realize I'm further away from God than I need to be. It's going to bring death. It's going to bring famine. It's going to bring hardship on my children. It's going to be pain on my destiny and on my legacy. But even in Moab, true Christians can always hear what God is still doing. Some of you, metaphorically right now, have been in Moab for a long time. Some of you, you know that you're saved. You know that you're a real Christian. You know that God saved you and he changed your life. But you've walked away from the center of that blessing. Maybe you're five steps away. Maybe you're 50 miles away. But I bring good news to you today. God is reigning in Judah. God is blessing in Judah. God is still revealing himself in Judah. God is still honoring those in Judah. If you would make up in your mind to say enough is enough and I've had too much and I'm ready to get back to being who God created me to be, all you have to do is do what they did in verse 6. You just decide it was better for me when I was following God. It was better for me when I was doing what God wanted me to do than being out here away from God. I was going to have a time this morning of calling forward a bunch of people. I don't feel led to do that today. But if I said, if you know you're in Moab, if you know you're not as close to God as you ought to be, don't do it right now. But if I said, and you want to get back to Judah, I want you to come forward and stand and let's pray together and let's admit that we've gotten away from God and let's travel back to God in our hearts and let's be all that God wants us to be. Many people would come. Some would come because others came. Some would come because they know it's the right thing to do. Some would come to be seen coming. But listen, it's not about you walking down here and letting me pray for you because that's only a few steps. You've got to walk back to God. So the question is yours today. If you're truly saved and you're not where God wants you to be, are you going to stay where you are? Because what's happening there? Death, devastation, destruction, families being ripped apart, famine, problems. Or are you going to say enough is enough? It's time for me to get back to God. See, I believe the heart of every Christian would agree. It's time for us to get back to God. It's time for us to start feeding on the bread of life and not the bread of materialism and worldliness. I believe every real Christian would say it's time for me to begin to feast on the Bible and and to grow into the man, the woman, the young person that God saved me to be. But you can't grow in a famine. and You can't grow in Moab. You can die there. You can watch the people that you love die there. 
You can be alienated from God and the people of God there. But if you want to be all that God wants you to be, you need to get your way back into Judah. You need to start feeding on the bread of life again. You need to start getting into praise and worship again. Some of you, when you got saved, you were so happy to be a Christian. You told everybody. You started reading your Bible. You were praying. You were serving. you, You were doing so many things. The church is full of people who used to do. I meet them all the time. Pastor, I, I used to teach. I used to preach. I used to deke. I used to sing in the choir. I used to serve God. I used to read my Bible. I used to tithe. I, I, I used to be blessed. What happened? They traveled to Moab. And they found themselves in a distant country. And famine was everywhere. You don't have to stay in Moab. I'm here today to let you know there is plenty of bread in the house of the Lord. There is food for your soul in the house of the Lord. There's blessing to be had at the hand of God, but God does not extend his hand to Moab and the people that desire desire to dwell there. If you find yourself drifting away from God and going back, you need to make that a short trip and get right back to God. I'm going to close with this expression that many of you have heard many times, but it's the reality about what sin wants to do to you. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. You think that you're just drifting a little bit and it's no big deal. You're playing with your soul. You're playing with your destiny. And you are limiting the blessing of God off your life. And if you believe that you need the blessing of God on your life, you don't need to walk this aisle and make a commitment to God. You need to make a commitment to God in your own life that says, I'm going to center myself back up on God. I'm going to live in the house of bread. I'm going to feed on God, and I'm going to surround myself in Bethlehem, Judea, where the God of the Bible and the people of God live. And it's always up to you. Coming to this church... Doesn't mean this is where you live. Coming to this church doesn't mean that you are dwelling in Judah. It just means you're showing up here. This is the house of bread. This is the place where people are being fed for their souls. Coming for an occasional meal does make you a dweller. Some of you need to get off the outskirts of your spirituality and press in all the way. God is looking for you to come back home. Elimelech never got to go back. He stayed too long in the wrong place. Don't be that guy. Don't stay too long where you can't find your way back to God anymore. Don't stay so long away from God that nothing about God intrigues you anymore. He stayed away too long, and he died in a place of famine. And his sons died in a place of famine, and he left a mess behind him. The choice is yours. Where do you want your life to be based? In the place of God or in the place of pleasure? The choice is yours. The good news is, There's also pleasure in the place of God. Some people think that if I, if I sell out to God, I'll never have fun again. Those of us who've been close to God understand 
There's nothing greater. There's nothing more fulfilling. There's nothing more exciting than being close to God. God doesn't want to deny you of pleasure, but he does want to put guidelines on where you seek pleasure. And some of you seeking pleasure in the wrong place. Get your mind back in Judah. Get your mind back on God. Get your mind back on praising and worshiping God so that you can get out of your famine and and again inhabit the place of God's blessing. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for always being able to reach your children. Thank you for allowing Christians in Moab to still hear your voice. God, I pray for every person in the room today that is not close to you, that you would give them a passion to come back home, that you would give them a passion to follow you and to serve you all the days of their life, God. All of us have been close and drifted away and been close and drifted away. Help us, God, to never live in Moab. Help us to feed on the bread of life and live in praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.